Mobile phones emit unique identifiers that can be used to track you. Tracking means they can know your location or your proximity to a location. You can be geofenced where you are known to be in a given area and be identified as a potential suspect in a crime or known to be participating in a specific protest. Tracking also means that your device has a unique identity and often can positively point to a specific person. Tracking can be based on a radio frequency emission from your phone or it can be based on internet traffic depending on who's doing the surveillance. The two important identifiers I will explain to you today are the IMEI or International Mobile Equipment Identity and the IMZ or International Mobile Subscriber Identity. Now your phone emits other identifiers like IP addresses, MAC addresses, Google IDs, Apple IDs, advertising IDs, and so on. But these two I will discuss today are probably the most misunderstood. In some cases, they cause panic with the privacy conscious because they think these identifiers are tracked everywhere and by everyone. At other times, some people have a cavalier attitude because they are not aware that these identifiers are important to tracking. There are surveillance tools that are focused on tracking these identifiers, so they cannot be ignored. However, you also need to understand the limits of what can be tracked and who can do the tracking. These identifiers can also be an absolute pain with some mobile carriers that use these to inappropriately police us. If you arm yourself with knowledge, you will learn if the carrier is just BSing you and you need to know when to dump them because some of them do abuse these identifiers. Let's do a deep dive into the IMEI and IMSI. This knowledge will protect you. Stay right there. This is something I've talked about before and is a rudimentary explanation of your complex device called a mobile phone. Your phone is made up of two independent computers or CPUs. There's the part called the application processor, which is what you think is your complete phone. The application processor is what runs your operating system, meaning iOS or Android. But there's a second part to the phone and it runs with its own operating system and it is completely independent of the application processor. It is called the cell baseband modem or more specifically it is the modem processor. It not only is a separate computer but it runs its own operating system called an RTOS and it is not controlled at all by Apple or Google. In fact, they have minimal control of what the modem processor can do. And this is important to understand later when we evaluate the source of the privacy threat with these identifiers. So it should be fairly obvious now that the modem processor is tied to the cell service. And these two identifiers are specifically managed by the modem processor. Again, they are not under the control of Apple and Google. There are only two manufacturers of baseband modems or modem chips and they are Qualcomm, which is the maker of modem processors for US phones and all iPhones. And there is MediaTek, which is used in phones sold in the rest of the world. MediaTek is in Taiwan and Qualcomm is in the USA. 
Each phone is given an IMEI by the modem processor. Again, this is the International Mobile Equipment Identity. So to be clear, the IMEI is the hardware identifier. The structure of an IMEI is predefined. The first portion of it is the equipment supplier and then the model code. And the tail end portion of the code is the unique identity. Back in the day, the IMEI was relied on aggressively by phone carriers. There's a registry of IMEIs that is used to record stolen phones. The IMEI is stored in flash memory on the baseband modem, and it can be reflashed if you have the tool provided by either Qualcomm or MediaTek for that specific modem processor. The organization that manages the IMEI registry is GSMA. A manufacturer of a phone would typically register a block, typically of a million reserved IMEIs. They would then pay GSMA for this block of unique numbers. There are two problems with this. First, many Chinese phone manufacturers don't want to pay GSMA for IMEIs. Phone makers that don't make large batches of phones don't see the economic benefit to paying GSMA. And the reality is that there is no law that mandates that IMEIs be unique. This is completely voluntary. So what happens is that non-mainstream models of phones typically do not have registered IMEIs. The second problem is that the IMEI registry for stolen phones is useless. The registry is by country only. So if someone maintained a registry of stolen iPhones in the USA, all that the stealer has to do is to sell the phones abroad. The phones will work fine in a different country. Because of this, U.S. carriers do not maintain or use the IMEI registry actively nowadays. People still report phones as stolen and they still occasionally use this, but it is rare. The manufacturer of the phone can modify the IMEI of the phone. For example, our Brax 2 phones did not come with registered IMEIs, but you had a tool we provided that allowed you to change the IMEI anytime you wanted. This was pretty cool and allowed a lot of control, and this had significant privacy benefits. A few countries have laws against modifying an IMEI if you're not the manufacturer, like the UK, but it is a restriction in very few countries. And it's kind of pointless. However, the surveillance state of the UK needs to track everything. There is no law on IMEI in the US. Now, who can see the IMEI? This is important to note. When you connect to the cell network, your IMEI is always announced. It is not part of the radio emission to establish a connection. But it is part of the data sent to the carrier after the subscription is validated. So this has to be clear. The carrier can always see the IMEI. What they do with it is the important question. Two years ago, they didn't do much with it other than sometimes cross-checking against the IMEI registry for stolen phones. And this is a batch process and it is not done in real time. But recently, U.S. carriers have used the IMEI to block phone models, specifically carriers block phone models that use 3G. This is because there is no 3G in the U.S. anymore. All phone services have been migrated to LTE or 5G. Remember I mentioned that the IMEI is a two-part code. The first part is the phone model, and the second part is the unique identity. Most U.S. carriers only pay attention to the phone model. They ignore the rest. 
In many countries that still have 3G, like the EU, there's no actual check performed using the IMEI at all. There are some carriers that actually check the unique identity part, and this I consider as surveillance-focused carriers. I would avoid them like the plague if you are privacy-focused. The two carriers that are stupidly tracking the full IMEI are Ting and Cricket. Dump them. They are the only ones doing it. For most other carriers, if your phone model portion of the IMEI is allowed on their network, no further checking of the IMEI is done other than to occasionally scan the stolen phone registry. In my experience, this scan is done no more than once a week for most carriers. Aside from carriers seeing and using the IMEI to identify your device, there are other threats to this identifier. The fear is because it is unique. It is like stamping a serial number to your wrist. And this is where Google and Apple come in. The manufacturers of the OS, meaning Apple and Google, can query the base bad modem's IMEI. What they do with that is the subject of concern. It's basically a unique serial number, so it makes the user of the phone unique. You can attempt to hide yourself with a different username for your Google ID or Apple ID. But Google and Apple can detect that it is the same phone. Why is this important to know? Because some of you want to hide from Google and Apple, and I'm here to tell you that it is impossible with a standard phone, or what I call a normie phone. There is a way around this, though, if you have a specialized phone called a de-Google phone. De-Google phones don't have Google native code with permissions to retrieve the IMEI and pass it to some app. Because of this, by design, de-Google phones do not reveal the IMEI to Google. Thus, it is impossible for Google to determine the IMEI. So, in summary, these are the important takeaways. Number one. IMEIs are always visible to the carrier after a connection to the cell network. Number two, carriers use the IMEI to determine the phone model and occasionally to check the stolen phone registry. Number three, some carriers use the IMEI to do full identity matching, but these are companies to avoid. Number four, Google and Apple can see the IMEI at all times on regular phones. Number five, the Google phones do not show the IMEI to any app. The IMZ, or International Mobile Subscriber Identity, is the identifier tied to the subscription to the cell carrier service. All modern phones use a chip called a SIM card, which is inserted into the phone. Some phones have a built-in SIM chip, and the information about the subscription is flashed into it. These are called eSIMs. The SIM card contains the IMZ identifier. So specifically, if you remove the SIM card from the phone, then you have eliminated the IMZ identifier from that phone. If you transfer the SIM card to another phone, then you have transferred the IMZ to the new phone. In other words, the IMZ is not tied to the phone, just the SIM card. The problem with the IMZ that you need to understand is that it is broadcasted by your phones constantly. On a 3G phone, the IMZ is announced by your cell radio, and then every cell tower listens to this. 
If a cell tower hears your MZ signal and you happen to be subscribed to that network, then that tower tries to connect with you. The phone itself will connect only with the tower that has the strongest signal. This behavior of MZ is used for phone surveillance. You will find this documented in court cases where a warrant is issued to surveil a phone. For example, you can look at the warrant issued to listen in to Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's fixer. The FBI used a device called an MZ catcher. This portable device emulates a cell tower. And if you're close to the target's phone, the signal strength of the MZ catcher will ensure that the phone will connect to it rather than an actual phone tower. The original MZ catcher from the Harris Corporation was called Stingray, but other newer models have various sea creature names. Again, to repeat this, the phone will broadcast the MZ contiguously if the SIM card is in the phone. This will continue indefinitely every few seconds. On an LTE or 5G phone, instead of the MZ, the phone will transmit another value called AK1, and the carrier will translate this to an MZ. The idea of using another identifier instead of MZ was to make sure that there's more privacy, since if someone is listening on the air, you could capture MZs all day and create new SIM cards and steal someone else's phone subscription. This is difficult to do when the K1 is used instead since the K1 is embedded into the SIM card chip and the MZ is not broadcast anymore on LTE. In any case, catching your identifier is not an issue since obviously the carrier or government can translate the K1 to an actual MZ. Now understand this behavior. If you take off the SIM card, the MZ stops broadcasting. On some phone OS's like Android, you can disable a SIM on the settings. If you do this, it should also stop broadcasting. This is why I hate eSIMs, because there's no way to temporarily remove an identity from the phone. So if you happen to be in a protest or an area that is the subject of a geofence warrant, then presume that your identity and location has been captured, all because of your MZ. This tracking is related to carrier tracking. I want to distinguish though between big tech tracking location versus carrier tracking using the MZ. While MZ tracking is a real threat, currently it is not really an exact way of getting a location. In contrast, Google and Apple can spot your location within six feet, or in Apple's case, a few inches if there's an air tag nearby. MZ locations are based on tower triangulation, meaning your location is approximated based on which cell towers are close by, which is recorded by your carrier. This gives an accuracy of maybe one half mile square at the most, and maybe even less. So this is not currently that serious of a threat, but in the future when millimeter wave with beamforming is part of the cell network, likely to be called 6G, then the location threat will be more serious. MZ catchers like Stingray, which are available to big city police forces and the FBI, are a big threat because someone with a device could spot all the MZs in a protest, for example. In other words, this is called a proximity threat because it can spot all devices nearby. This is a very accurate geofencing technique. 
This is the main threat to be aware of with phones. If you are in an area that is subject of some government surveillance, then you can decline to participate by removing or disabling your SIM card. Here's another similar threat. It is no big technical feat to track IMSIs. There are open source tools available to do this. I could, for example, listen into IMSIs or K1s in my neighborhood and associate it to people's identifiers. This way I can track comings and goings from the phone emissions. An example use of this is in a building security. You could theoretically track who's in the building based on this. Think of this as a homemade IMSI catcher. Now, many people have a big misconception with the IMSI and IMEI in relation to emergency calling. Someone will always tell me that I'm not giving correct information since you can dial an emergency number on a phone even if it doesn't have a SIM card. However, this is misunderstood. Emergency dialing means that the phone is broadcasting to any cell network without an IMSI. It's a special case. Unless you're dialing out with an emergency call, your carrier requires an IMSI. An emergency call communicates with any tower regardless of carrier. And I'm certain that it passes the IMEI. But again, this is not broadcasted in a non-emergency use and no other identifier is broadcasted unless there's a SIM card. So the takeaways on the IMSI are these. Number one, IMSI is broadcasted if there is a SIM card. Remove or disable the SIM card and IMSI stops being broadcasted. Number two, IMSI currently is not a serious location tracking threat. Number three, IMSI can be used in geofencing if there's a nearby IMSI catcher device. Number four, IMSI or the K1 can be used to announce your presence since it is a strong signal and it is a unique identifier. In general, the IMSI is more of a government surveillance kind of threat and more about geofencing. If you're aware of the context of your surroundings, you could respond to this by understanding when you should disable your SIM card or turn off your phone and that eliminates the threat. In any other context, unless you're under active government surveillance, then this is something that doesn't need to concern the average person. The IMEI, though, is more of an ID card threat, and frankly is more deeply concerning when it relates to Apple and Google. If I want some privacy with my internet traffic, I would want to make sure that Google cannot see my IMEI, and the only way to do that is with a de-Googled phone. And of course, there is no way to hide the IMEI from Apple. Although Apple and Google can also see the IMSI using the same techniques as with the IMEI, the IMSI can be changed. New SIM card means new IMSI. But the IMEI stays with the phone. Friends, I started a company to create products that protect your privacy. One of the most important privacy threats is the phone. So we have phones with an open source OS that have no links to big tech. These are called the Google phones and are invisible to Google. They have no Google ID or other identifiers. Plus, they work like normal phones and they're relatively inexpensive. We have various models in our store, so check that out. 
We have a VPN service Bytes VPN, which does not log you. It has no traffic limits. It doesn't scream that you're on a VPN and it has worldwide coverage. We have Braxmail, which eliminates the metadata from your emails. This means no IP addresses and traces on your email that show where it came from. We give you seven domains and unlimited aliases so you can partition your activities. We also offer webmail access from a browser. All these products are on the store on my app, Braxme. Sign up on there. You will not be asked to give any personal information to sign up. Thank you for watching and see you again soon.